Hey there, true believers. Welcome to the Task Force X Headcast. A proud member of the Headcast family, I am your host, Aaron Moss, otherwise known as Head. The Task Force X Headcast follows the adventures of DC Comics Task Force X. Task Force X was made up of the Suicide Squad comic, which was created by John Ostrander and Ryan Scott, which started in the late 1980s, and the sister comic, Checkmate, created by Paul Kupperberg and Steve Irwin. These were two sides of DC's espionage comics. Task Force X is an off-the-books government strike team, made up of convicts with no hope for release, serving as expendable agents for impossible missions. Succeed, and I'll shave time off your sentences. If we don't... You'll be dead. Exactly. I will attempt to chronicle each title and all the books that the Suicide Squad and Checkmate appeared in during this era. We're the U.S. government. Who's going to blow the whistle on us? The convicts? Who'd believe them? You? <laughs> You're going to start a blog and expose us? Well, yeah, Amanda. A blog and a headcast. Those scumbags are trying to screw me. No, not at all, Amanda. I'm just trying to help everyone else discover the joy of the Suicide Squad. Anywho, hope you guys have as much fun with these comics as I did when I first read them. Oh, so many years ago. Punk. All right, Amanda. Bang. And here we are with our fabulous 22nd episode. Coming up close on our two-year anniversary... That's for later. This is for now. Uh, welcome back to Task Force X. This month, I've got a couple of character profiles, and as I've talked about previously, uh, we're just going to talk about Suicide Squad this month. We're going to look at issues 11 and 12 of Suicide Squad. But before we get into actual issues, let's start off with a character profile. Uh, this is a wrap-up of last issue. Uh, this character profile is The Thinker. Uh, his first appearance was in All Flash number 12, back in the fall of 1943. His alter ego was Clifford DeVoe. Team affiliations was the Injustice Society, and as we saw last month, the Suicide Squad. Abilities is technico technologically derived telekinesis and mind control. Uh, yes, we're going to look at the thinker from last issue who uh, died last issue in the Suicide Squad when they uh, met up with the Doom Patrol. This next part I'm going to cover comes from Wikipedia, as usual. Uh, Clifford DeVoe was a failed lawyer who bitterly ended his career in 1933. Realizing that many of the criminals he encountered had the skills, but not the brains, to rule Gotham City's underworld, he started a new career as the brain behind small-time villains. As a thinker, he was defeated by the original Flash who soon became his most recurrent foe. He always thought out new scientific devices to use, and what was most important was his thinking cap, a metal hat that could project metal force. The thinker would use this device repeatedly over the years. In fact, we saw this last month uh, during the crossover. The thinker was a member of the Injustice Society, leading an army of prison escapes like the other members. In Plateau City, the police had nabbed a shady-dressed man for trying to shoot the governor, only discovered this man was the dead ringer for the governor, and claimed to be the real governor. The Flash arrived on the scene to overhear this, 
but moved on to confront the hoodlums attacking the city. The thinker appears at the scene, fires a ray at the Flash, causing him to gain weight and crash through a roof. Recovering, he speeds over the governor's mansion, only to overhear the governor ordering all forces for law and order to surrender. Flash enters his office, discovers the governor to be a dummy or machine, which flees through an open door. Flash attempts to warn law enforcement officials that a phony governor put out the message. But the thinker shows up and tells the fastest man alive that he is speaking to a dead Mike, and then snares him with invisible wires. He acted as judge in the trial of the JSA, but it was revealed Green Lantern was impersonating him, having captured him after escaping brute brain, va- brain wave, leading to the Injustice Society's defeat, and the other with the Riddler and the Shade, he was manned behind the decades-long abduction of Keystone City and the original Flash after he was defeated, I'm sorry, after which he was defeated by the Flashes of Two Worlds. His suspended emanation time in Keystone City kept Thinker young over the years, and he continued his criminal career over modern times. Uh, this is all a bit of a retcon, this last part I just read off to you. Originally, uh, Keystone City and the Golden Age Flash was on what's called Earth 2. Barry Allen, the, the modern Flash, was on Earth 1. But then during the crisis, they merged them into one Earth. And to bring a lot of these stories from different Earths into continuity on one Earth, they made some changes. And one of the changes they made was uh, they took Keystone City and said it was in suspended animation. And then the whole Flash 2 world story that was the first Earth 1 or 3 crossover, was actually Barry finding the suspended city and bringing it back to reality. Uh, in recent years, DeVoe accepted a mission of the Suicide Squad in exchange for a full pardon, as we saw last issue. And we saw how that ended. He was killed. But, uh, a little spoiler, I guess, eventually he will turn up alive, uh, only to die from cancer due to using the cap. His former fast, former foe, the original Flash, attempted to save him with the thinking cap, but if over refused, preferring to rest in peace. And that happens in Flash 134 around February of 1998, which is about 10 years from our current place in time, story-wise. So, Over on television, he's appeared in the Justice League Unlimited as a member of Gorilla Grodd's Secret Society, he also makes an appearance as a background character in the Justice League Unlimited episode entitled Flash and Substance. Uh, a version of the Thinker appeared in Batman the Brave and the Bold, an episode entitled The Sword of the Atom. And in issue two of the comic adaptation of Batman the Brave and the Bold, the Thinker was featured. Uh, but that's it for our buddy the Thinker this episode. Um, a little spoilers, I guess I could say. Um, we will be seeing the Thinker besides that, what I mentioned previously in The Flash, which we won't really cover here. Uh, we will see a version of the Thinker showing up in the future. Uh, but that's for then. This is for now. Let's move on to Suicide Squad number 11. Suicide Squad number 11. Cover dated March of 1988. But again, if you wanted to buy this bad boy, you had to be around on December the 1st of 1987. And he also had to have 75 cents, because that's what this bad boy cost. The title of this story was called Blood and Snow, Part 1, written by the fabulous, wonderful John Oshinger, penciled by the talented Luke McDonald, inker was Robert Lewis, letter was Todd Klein, colorist was Carl Gafford, the cover artist was Jerry Bingham. The editor of this 
was good old Robert Greenberger. A couple of notes on this. First off, Vixen. Her last appearance was in Justice League of America 261. Again, this is according to Mike's Amazing World of Comics. Uh, that Justice League issue was the last issue of that version of the Justice League. It was the end of a four-part story where, uh, I think it was Professor Ivo, had, you tried to destroy the League, he ended up killing uh, Vibe and Still. So this would be her very next appearance after that. Uh, also featured this episode, these two issues, is Speedy, who is Green Arrow's sidekick. Um, Speedy is currently in this time and space, back when this issue came out, he was also appearing in a comic called Action Comics Weekly. Action Comics was a Superman comic. At issue 601, they stopped the Superman features a regular. Well, they stopped it as a regular, but they stopped it as a Superman comic. And it became a uh, a bi- or a weekly title. It had like a two-page Superman story plus random other stories. There was a Nightwing, a Wild Dog, uh, a Speedy Story. I forget off who else was in there, but I do know that Speedy was showing up at this time frame. Uh, speaking of Action Comics Weekly, a, uh, an online buddy of mine, uh, Chad Bokelman, is starting his own Action Comics Weekly podcast. Uh, he's hoping it'll be out the end of the month, uh, May, um, is what he's hoping anyways. Uh, I was going to play a promo for him, but he doesn't have a promo going right now. So instead of playing a promo, I'm going to talk a little bit about it. This is from Chad himself. He said it's a bi-weekly show that will not be edited for time. However long it runs, it runs. Uh, another reason for going bi-weekly is so people have time to listen to it. And each episode will be one issue with different people per segment. Uh, basically a semi-regular rotating cast of guest hosts. Uh, other podcasters you may have heard on other shows. Uh, but again, that's Chad's Action Comics Weekly Podcast. Uh, definitely check it out. Chad's a great guy. I'm sure he's going to do a fabulous job with this comic. And again, he's got a, a rotating cast of guest stars, so you can hear different people talking with him on it. Uh, and again, once he gets up to this point in the comics, he'll you'll hear us more about Speedy. But that's enough about Chad and his podcast. Let's carry on with mine. Uh, the synopsis for this issue, uh, Mary McCabe, who we know is Vixen, is on a photo shoot. Uh, she's talking with her fellow mottos. She dives underwater to do some scuba diving. And she starts thinking about her life as a superhero over the past year. About her time as a just, with the Justice League, the recent disbandment, and the deaths of Vibe and Steel. Uh, that all happened, like I said, the last issues of the Justice League comic. Also, it ties into the uh, Legends miniseries. Which I talked about a couple years ago on this very show. Because that's what got our start. Uh, she then went back home to Africa to seek her spiritual homeland. Uh, done thinking about her past and dwelling, she comes to the surface and finds her friends and the crew dead. Uh, they've all been machine gunned. We then cut to New Orleans where we find Mirror Master robbing a bank. As he tries getting away, a beeper on him starts going off. And we find out it's actually Captain Boomerang disguised as Mirror Master. He calls in and gets the wall to turn off the beeper right before the guards happen to locate him. Uh, he's being recalled back for a mission. Waller informs her crew that this photo shoot group was killed because they accidentally took pictures of a drug deal going down. Uh, she then introduces the group to Speedy, who explains the players in the game. 
The boat and the drugs belong to an Xavier Cujo, an infamous medallion cartel from Colombia. Waller says that since there is no way to touch him legally, the squad is going after him illegally. Nightshade questions that if they kill him, how are they different than he is? Waller explains that society should have the right to be free from scum like Cujo. And while it may not be legal, it is justice. She then informs the team that Rick is on another mission. Uh, for more on that, I hope you listen to the last episode when me and Mike from the Waiting for Doom podcast talked about the Doom Patrol Suicide Squad crossover issue and that Nightshade is in charge of this mission. A Nightshade agrees, but only as long as when they're done, she gets to do what she joined the team to do, which Waller agrees to. Boomerang has a little fight about this, not wanting to be led by a woman. Waller lets him know that, hey, I am a woman, and you know what I say, you're going to go on this mission, or I will look into you deeper and find a reason to lock you up. So we cut the Boomerang masquerading as a drug dealer, looking to purchase from Cujo, while Vixen and Black Orchid are along, disguised as his window dressing. Uh, we cut to an interlude of Senator Cray reading on the papers about a deal with a scandal he's involved in, when in comes Derek Tolliver, who we uh, first saw back in the Firestorm crossover that I did with uh, the Incredible Shag, who asked the senator if he's ever heard of the Suicide Squad. Back in the Colombian jungles, we find Speedy, Nightshade, June Moon, and Briscoe, where they're waiting their part of the mission, where they can blow up Cujo's stronghold. As they're waiting, they're discovered by the headhunters, who are some guys that works for Cujo. And a little fight ensues. Brugo? Try that again. Briscoe uses Sheba, the helicopter, to take out the bad guys. With the cover blown, they begin their attack run, where they discover Cujo has his own jets. To be continued. Dun, dun, dun. Now, for my thoughts on this issue, uh, let's go ahead and start where you should always start at the beginning. Uh, we've got the cover. The cover, it shows uh, Speedy, Vixen, Boomerang, and Nightshade running on the beach with uh, the Enchantress and Black Orchid flying above them. Uh, it's a pretty good cover. I, I like this. Down at the bottom, it lets us know we have special guest stars, Speedy and Vixen. And it uses their own little fonts there, which is interesting. Uh, not that using their fonts are interesting, but they've got some interesting fonts. Uh, Vixen's, uh, hers, she's like a little fox or something, which is the medallion she wears, because her power's in the middle of her ex. Speedy's, makes it almost seem like a speedster character, besides the name, it like has kind of speed lines on it. Uh, but yeah, they're right along the beach, Speedy has a, an arrow notched, June's got her hands in there, she's ready to, I'm sorry, the Enchantress has her hands in the air, she's ready to throw a spell. It's a very interesting cover. I like it. we got palm trees in the background and along the side. The ocean lapping along the side here. It's a very good, very dynamic cover. I, I like this cover of Suicide Squad. Uh, then we move on to the, the first couple pages where we have Vixen, who, again, as my buddy Shag would say, she's hot. She, the first page starts out with a cover, just a splash page of her, with someone, you know, a, a photographer saying, you know, dreamy, Mary, really creamy. Hold it, hold it, hold it, click. So he's taking a picture. She's sitting there posing in the surf. I like these first couple pages. It's just uh, Mary expressing doubts about what her life and uh, one of her friends is saying, you know, she doesn't know if she likes it or not. She makes a lot of money. And 
they're just sitting there talking. Mary's reassuring her friend. Uh, she tells she's going to take a swim. Again, a couple hot chicks standing around talking in the sun. Can't go wrong there. Uh, then we get to the next couple pages where Mari is swimming underwater. We get a recap of her origins. Uh, she lets us know she found the Tatum Totem. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Which gives her the power to na- t- take the power of any creature in the animal kingdom. She lets us know she called herself Vixen and joined the all-new Just League of America. Uh, some say we could never hold account of the old league, but I think we did ourselves proud. Um, I like that. That's kind of, I think that's, I'm sure that she's talking about people in the DC universe, but I think that also holds true for reality uh, for us in the real world. A lot of people didn't think the, the what was called the Detroit League when Vixen and Gypsy and Steel and Vibor members uh, called that the Detroit League because they were based out of Detroit. A lot of people weren't happy with that version of the league. Um, again, I didn't start reading comics until after this, but I went back and picked up a lot of these Detroit League issues. I enjoyed it myself. I know some people love this era. I don't know if I love it other than the nostalgic factor, but I think it was a good series. It was a good run. So I, I do like, and again, they got a picture there showing the, the four teammates plus the Manhunter, John John, and Elongated Man, who are also part of the team. Uh, again, I, I like the, the way that, again, it's talking about the DC Universe, people in the world. Plus, it's, I think it's also maybe, a, as I said, a metal, metal? A metatextual reference to people really dissing this version of the Justice League. So, and then she goes on finishing a recap saying that, you know, they did fine until the present order is disbanded and two of her members got murdered. Which, again, it was a reference to the last issues of the Justice League of America issue. It was like 258 through 261 was a four part arc, which was also a Legends crossover. Because in that, Reagan disbanded the league because of... Uh, well, again, if you guys listen to the beginning episodes of my show, you know Godfrey you know, convinced the world the heroes were bad. The president ordered the league disbanded. During that period, uh, Vibe and Still were both murdered. She lets us know that she quit the whole Supergirl game, went back to Africa, seeking her spiritual homeland, wherein she found Ethiopia. You guys are familiar with Ethiopia. It's a place in Africa where, you know, the starving kid. You guys see Sally Struthers on TV talk about it all the time. Uh, the only thing I find, I would say, interesting in this little thing, the whole thing's interesting, but apparently her friend Andrea was saying that uh, apparently Vixen's been gone for a year. And as Vixen gets swinging underwater, she says, you know, where have I been this past year or so? So, the way I'm reading this, from when she finds the totem, her time in the Justice League, the murder of the, the, squad, the team members, and her going back to Africa was only a year or so. A year and some change, probably. I, I think that's, again, I don't know if this is a part of the, the compressed DCU timeline or what, but it, and it has to be, because again, I think at this time, the, the uh, DC Universe only been around for five years. But it seems like a year seems an awful short time for the Detroit League, for her to go back home for a while. I say back home. She went to Africa for a while. Uh, a year seems rather short to me. Maybe it's just me. And again, it made you do the compressed timeline of the DC Universe. I know the Just League issue itself was more than a year. So, And this was on issue 11, so it's been a year since Legends ended. 
or maybe she just she was in Africa for a year, maybe you know, since the legends, and it's just the way she's telling the story. I'm not quite sure on that. Uh, it's one of the two. It's either it's a compressed time, or it's just the way she said I misunderstood. But she lets us know that you know there's only so much misery a person can endure. She got burnout, broke, so she came back to make some money. And then she mentions there's a new Justice League uh, called Justice League International. Again, if you guys tune in next month, you'll hear me talk a little more about the Justice League International. Also, if you're interested in the Justice League International, you should be. It's a great book. Well, it was a great book. Uh, a buddy of mine, who you may have heard about before, uh, named Irredeemable Shag. Yes, the same one from the Spirit of My Show a couple of times. Uh, he's got his own new podcast starting called the Just League International, the Bwahaha Podcast, where he's going to cover each issue of the Just League International, the entire run by Giffen DeMantis, and the crossover issues and all that. So I definitely recommend checking out uh, Shag's podcast. I think number issue or episode two just came out recently. Uh, so get on the ground floor. And speaking of that, um, next month, I'll get to the next issue box, but next month, apparently mentioned now, I do have my Justice League Suicide Squad crossover in issues 13 of both books they crossover. I'm not quite sure who I'm going to have on yet if I have anybody, but I do know that in about a year, when Shag actually gets to it, uh, he'll have me on his podcast and we'll be covering it again. So uh, definitely check out my coverage next month. And then check out Shag's the Justice League International podcast. And uh, again, check it out. It's a great show. And... Next year, I'll be on there, probably beginning of the year, covering the Just League Suicide Squad crossover from that angle. So, but enough promoting Chag's show. Wow, I'm only, what, 20 minutes into the show, and I've already promoted two different podcasts. Okay, back to mine. So, Vixen comes up out of the water, and the only other problem I have with this is her friend. Her friend's name is Andrea, but she spells it A-N-D-R-E-Y-A. It's just an odd spelling. I, I get to be a bit of a name Nazi at times when you spell names weirdly. Uh, it's kind of one of my pet peeves. So that annoys me. Uh, part of me says that she, I'm glad she's dead because of her name, but that'd be harsh. So I'll say that. But her parents were idiots. That's another story entirely. Uh, back onto this. Uh, Vixen, she's, you know, out of the water. I don't know if... I don't know how long she was under. She was long enough to recap the last year of her life in her head. She was also under long enough for the people that killed these people to come to shore, kill everybody, and take off again. And she, I, my only problem, I don't, I don't, I don't do a lot of uh, scuba diving. So on how deep she went. Uh, apparently, she went deep enough that a she didn't hear the the sounds of boats or however they landed on the island. And B, she didn't hear the machine guns going off. I know machine guns are quite loud. I know water deadens some sounds. So, I don't know. That's my only real issue with this part is that I don't know if she wouldn't have heard anything down there. But again, maybe she would have. And apparently they came to shore after... Uh, sorry, I keep being distracted. I'm, I'm on this page here with Vixen. The bottom part, we got all these dead people. And above that... We've got uh, Mary swimming underwater, and again, she's a hot black chick, bathing suit, or 
about hanging out. Anyways, let's move on from this page. So yeah, it was a great page. Uh, again, as usual, Luke McDonald. I love his art on the Suicide Squad. I think he does a fantastic job. Uh, I definitely enjoy the art on this. But moving on from the hotness that is Vixen on to New Orleans, where I talked about earlier. We get this old white guy coming in, handing a note to this bank teller. Next thing this bank teller looks, she sees herself looking back at her. And the bank robber, like, he's handing her a note saying, this is a stick-up, all your money or I steal your identity. Uh, talking about talking about identity theft nowadays, this guy's able to actually impersonate her completely. So it's an interesting take there. All of a sudden, her uh, alarm or something on her watch starts going off. I say her. The, the person robbing the bank. At this point, we don't quite know who it is. All we see is this chick standing there. and Her, her watch, it looks like, goes off. Beep, beep, beep. And she's like, oh, bugger. As it happens, the bank teller hits an alarm. And the, the fake bank teller, the blinking watch... Lights up, and we see it's Mirror Master. All of a sudden, a bunch of other people in this place start training the Mirror Masters himself due to his powers. As he gets away, his beeping still going off. Then we see Captain Boomerang. Again, before that, we see you know, he's running away. The cops are chasing the wrong people. One of the cops is like, he's heading for the door. He's the real one. And Boomerang's out of there. He's like, wrong old Drongo. The real one's already got out. Put down Waller and damn her bloody beeper. So the security guards are looking for him. And, and one of the guys is like, listen for the beeper. So they track him down. And apparently he's on a, uh, a, a leash that Waller sets the beep whenever she's ready for him to contact him. So he calls and he gets, I like this. And we remember this little bit of dialogue. Like, hello, Belrive, it's partners. Captain Blade Boomerang. Connect me through to the wall. Quick. Reap, reap your arse. Hello, Miss Wal- Miss W. Boomerang, I'm here. What you want? Turn off that bloody beeper. Waller's like, took your time, didn't you? If you come when you were called, I wouldn't have to tag you, you know. I'm here now, so turn the bloody thing off. And about the time Peach turns it off, the cops come walking by, or the security guards come running by looking for him. And Waller tells them, whatever it was you're doing, stop it, get over here, we got a mission. She Boomerang's in there sweating bullets and on my way, Miss Walla, suh. Just trying to get her goat. And then we get to the meeting room where Boomerang comes in, cinching up his uh, ascot, or whatever that is, weird around his neck. Again, I love Captain Boomerang's costume. I'm sorry we're not going to get to see this costume in the movie, uh, the upcoming Suicide Squad movie, but I like Boomerang. I like his costume. I think it's neat. So as I ca- talked about in my uh, synopsis, Boomer, uh, Waller, sorry, try that again. In my synopsis, Waller covers the massacre, tells him what happened. Again, all the cameras were smashed, but she said the film was already shot, was missed by the killers. And that's... And <laughs> so we see the scene. Uh, they've got the pictures that were taken up on the wall, flashing across. And uh, again, Waller saying the cameras were smashed, but the film was already... that was shot, was missed by the killers. And Boomerang and Cap... In, in normal Captain Boomerang... Fashion's like, nice talent there. Nice round from Jiggly Talent. Vixen's like, got five knuckles of talent to go with it, jackass. <laughs> and we find out that apparently one of the pictures they took, there was a blow-up they did, and they saw that 
there was a drug transfer at sea. Someone on the boat must have saw it. Had everyone wiped out just as a precaution. Because that's how nice the guy drug dealers are. You think they're, that you may you know, see them do something, uh, they're going to kill you. Uh, then we get Speedy. Again, this is Green Arrow's sidekick, who uh, years previous was a drug dealer. I'm a drug dealer. A drug user himself. Uh, that was a big thing that uh, DC Comics did back in the, I think it was the late 70s. They let us know that Speedy had a drug problem. And they had a big drug thing on with that. So he works, Speedy at this point does a lot of work for the government, a lot of anti-drug stuff. Uh, so he's got all the lowdown on this guy. Uh, what was his name again? Xavier Cujo. Uh, Cujo is a big-time drug crime lord. He runs the bulk of the world's cocaine traffic from Colombia. So again, we go, we get to finish getting the briefing of the mission. And I like this. So Waller lets us know that men like Cujo, uh, they rule through invitation reprisal. No way they can be touched legally. So like this next page here on page, uh, I don't see a page number, page nine. Waller's like, so we're going to touch them illegally. We're going to raise Cujo's fortress and destroy all the snow we find in there. And we're going to kill Cujo. And again, like I say, so far Waller, she, she's a, a government agent. I know over on Facebook uh, here not too long ago, there was a discussion going on regarding Waller. And someone referred to her as a villain. I don't think she's a villain. She, she works for the government. She may not be the nicest person around, but she does things for the right reason. And again, she's government sanctioned uh, for the most part. Sometimes she has to blackmail people into doing things the right way, but I, I don't, again, we had a big conversation. I'm like, what do you call, you know, why do you call her a villain? No one can give me a clear answer why they think she's a villain. I, I, again, I don't think Waller's a villain. She doesn't do villainous things. She does things. She uses the wrong approach sometimes to do good things. Uh, so, again, this is part of it. I mean, she lets us know that, you know, since the law can't touch Cujo, uh, there's only one way to take him out permanently, and that's for the squad to go in there and kill him. And then uh, Nightshade brings up a good point about, you know, well, if we kill him, does that make, any, make us any different from them? Without due process, just murder. So I see where Nightshade's coming from, but I have to agree with Waller that while it may be illegal to go in there and kill him, uh, he, what he's doing is not right. It's not right morally, even though, and I don't, it's not even right legally, because we have the war on drugs. Our government doesn't believe in people using drugs illegally like this. It's just he's able to keep himself in power. And I'm not going to get on the whole corruption of the government and all that, but but if someone's using the government and using the laws to sell drugs and to kill innocent people, uh, there is that fine line between what's legal and, as Waller says, what's justice. And like she also says in here, like her little speech, she says, you know, every time you put on that mask, aren't you stepping outside the system to achieve justice? So she's bringing home the fact that Nightshade dresses up as a, as a hero. She hides her identity. She goes out. She fights crime as a vigilante, basically. And is that really any different? I mean, yes, there is a big difference between going out and, and beating up somebody and stopping a crime and killing somebody. But, you know, the person they're going to kill sells drugs to kids. You know, a big drug dealer. He kills people. We saw he killed... Uh, all of Mary's friends and co-workers. 
uh, there is this, that fine line. I mean, personally, I, I kind of agree with Waller, as I said, that I don't think it's wrong. And maybe this is more about my moral compass than anything else, but I don't think it's necessarily wrong that they want to kill this guy that's done so much bad in the world. Uh, but again, then uh, Mary comes off, she tells him, you know, that there are being principles. The people that they were killed were friends of hers, don't they have a right to live? And like She's like, the health murderer's rights. What about the victim's rights? You take care of the cocaine. Leave Cujo to me. Uh, again, I, and I have to agree with Mari on this. Uh, and I notice as I'm talking, I'm pronouncing her name either Mary or Mari. I think it's more Mari. Uh, but that's just the way I am. I mispronounce her name a lot. So, uh, anyways, Mari's saying that, you know... And again, she has a good point. That, and it kind of coincides with what Waller's saying, is that, you know, Nightshade's worrying about what's right, and, you know, is there a difference between them? It kind of... She's mentioning due process and murder, which are legal terms, so she's worrying about the legality of it. And kind of the moral implications that they're killing somebody, but isn't that wrong? But as Mari said, yes, everyone has rights, but what about the, all those people on that beach that he killed? Uh, all the models, the photographers, the directors, all these people that were killed. Because they may have seen something. Because you know, they had to blow up the picture, and you probably even, without looking closer, you couldn't see what it was uh, with... Photography of models, you're looking at the hot chicks, you're not looking at boats in the background, that may have been cropped out. No one probably ever would have seen it. But to be on the safe side, Cujo had all these people killed. So, mari has got a very good point there. I mean, the victims have their rights, and their rights are violated. I know, don't don't preach to me, I know two wrongs don't make a right. Uh, But sometimes, uh, you gotta do what you gotta do. Uh, but then we move on from there, and uh, again, <laughs> Boomerang is Boomerang. He's all like, what a bunch of yabos. Where's Flag? Let's get a move on. i got other things to do with my life. And that's what Walt tells him that he was on another mission. We get a uh, little asterisk with a little editor's note. See the Doom Patrol Suicide Squad team up now on sale. And again, I spoke about that last issue. I'm sorry, last episode. Uh, again, that was a great book, but I'm not going to go into that one because I already talked about that with uh, Mike over at the Waiting for Doom podcast. But Waller tells Boomerang that Nightshade's heading the mission up, and like, it's both Boomerang and Nightshade's like, the hell I am. The hell she is. She's like, I don't even want to go on this mission. And Waller tells us that, you know, Flag may, be not, may not be coming back from his mission, and maybe if he did, they don't have time to wait. And I like this Nightshade again, very, very uh, mysterious. Like, I'll do it on one condition. You know why I joined this team. I do what you want. You do what I want. And I pick the dates. While well, I pause, she got the ellipse. Like, she's thinking. And she's like, all right. And I, again, I'm going to read off again. I, I like reading some of this dialogue. Because, again, Ostrander did such a fabulous job on it. He's like, I don't have to go on this bloody mission neither. And I ain't gonna. I ain't about to be boss with no female. Waller just, you know, she's got a look on her face like, you're a moron. She's like, down under, I am a female. In case you've forgotten, in case you've forgotten, and I am your boss, and you're going on this mission, or I will manufacture reasons to throw you back here in the slammer. Always supposing I can't find a reason by looking real hard. You understand me, trash? All right, all right, don't pitch a brawner ringer, I'll go. 
And the rest is just mission details. But again, I like Waller. She stands up to Boomerang. Uh, and again, I've said it before. I, I love this version of the Waller. Uh, she's the, again, I love hot chicks myself. I enjoy looking at hot women. But Waller is not that person. She's the, the short, overweight woman that, it's you know, she's not afraid to stand up to anybody. Because that's just how she rolls. And the rest of the issue is the, the first part of the mission where they're infiltrating the stronghold. And then we get to page 13, where we're at the office of Senator Joe Cray, and he's reading, as I said in my synopsis, reading the paper on the, uh, the blossoming cloakroom scandal. The selling of government secrets was Senator Joe Cray. And he's asking his guy how bad it is, and he's like, oh, it's not enough to get you indicted, but it's bad enough to keep you from being, re- being re-elected. And in comes barging Derek Tolliver, who again, who we've talked, we've seen him once or twice here. Uh, he works at the Suicide Squad on and off. And I like this. He tells him he's got re-election problems, and he's got some information that'll solve his issue, but if he comes, he's his top aide. And Bill, his current top aide, is like, how dare you? And Cray tells him to wait outside. And this last page, or this last uh, box on this page, like, tell me, Senator, have you ever heard of the Suicide Squad? Which, again, that's, you know, it's going to come back to bite our Suicide Squad in the butt. Uh, Tolliver, as me and Shag talked about, uh, oh, it's been a year ago probably now, that, uh, maybe not that long, but it's been a while. Tolliver's bad news, he's a bit of a jerk, he's a real... And again, we're seeing it come to fruition here even further that, you know, he's he's using the Suicide Squad to further his own ends. And again, that's all we really, it's just a one-page uh, interlude, if you will, that'll come back up uh, later on. And then again, we finish off the issue with some nice, again, pages here. Over on page 15, we get June talking to uh, Briscoe, talking about Sheba, how she's real pretty, got sleep lines. And he's saying, Smart's a whip, too. Comes when I whistle. I'm doing the straight acting with him, too. Smart's a whip. Comes when I whistle. She, oh, come on. Fact. And I don't know, it seems to me like she's kind of hitting on him here. She's like, um, you know, Briscoe, we're going to have to find places to pitch our sleeping bags. Where are you putting yours? And Briscoe's like, figure to sleep in shoe as usual. You sleep in a helicopter? Mostly. That's both tees. Okay, fine. So, again, we got this hot blonde chick uh, hitting on Briscoe, and... I don't know if it's ever covered. I don't know if he's gay or if he's asexual, or if he just loves his helicopter more than anything else. Or maybe he's kind of like me and just oblivious to these kind of things. But he kind of just kind of blows her off by saying he's going to sleep in the helicopter. She walks away, okay, fine. Again, if it was me and she was asking, you know, where I pet my sleeping bag, I'm petting my right next to yours, Junie. But that's just me. Uh, and again, I, as I talked about in the recap here on the next couple pages, they get captured by the uh, the headhunters. The guys work for Cujo. And one of the guys gets in the helicopter, starts looking around. And they're kind of considering, you know, June, I'm sorry, Nightshade's telling June she may have to go to the Enchantress. And <laughs> Briscoe's like, no sweat. Me and she, we got her. And he kind of, I think he's whistling over the mic saying, he says, Shiva. Low nose, arc, 10 to 2, 9 to 10, short people. 
And all of a sudden, the helicopter lights up, the machine gun pops out, and starts firing up like a kneecap, kneecap level. Skips where the heroes are at, and just blows people away at waist high. And the heroes escape, they knock out the bad guys. And again, he speaks, Briscoe speaks to his watch again, he's like, Shiva, curl your hair, blow gas. Helicopter lifts off, still shooting the bad guys. And again, so Briscoe's still talking to his watch, saying, you know, Shiva, dance floor, foot up, come to Papa, turn and wide, sweep dwarf high. Comes in, shoots some more, blows some more bad guys away. They jump in, and Briscoe, uh, he sees one of the, the headhunters sitting in his pilot's chair saying, Daniel Machine, obey me or I'll blow you out your controls. And Briscoe's a pretty rough son of a gun. He takes a, a knife and stabs the dude right in the back of the neck. So not only does the dude carry a knife around with him, he knows right where to stab somebody in the back of the neck to kill him. Again, I haven't really killed anybody that way, so maybe it's just an easy just to put a knife in anywhere there, but I don't know. Maybe Briscoe comes across as he knows what he's doing. I don't think this is his first rodeo. And like, as he throws the dead guy out, he's like, that's my seats. And again, the rest of the issue, the last couple of pages, is just the team taking off. Uh, Speedy tells Briscoe that he knows how he figured out how he did it. It's a remote unit of the transmitter. When he whistled, he activated the remote signal. The lingo was an exact code, which, again, isn't really hard to figure out, but Speedy figured it out. Uh, I don't know what I'm saying there, but... I like this when Speedy's going over all this, explaining how he figured out, you know, how Briscoe got Shiva to respond to him. Briscoe's just like, Shiva knows her daddy. And so as they attack, they start shooting the compound. We see a couple of jets come flying, and three jets come flying in. Like this, someone, I don't know who it is, is all, Jets? No one said nothing about Jets. I'm assuming it's probably Speedy, because he continues saying, he's like, can you take them? The person was like, I always die trying. Next, the return of Vixen and the conclusion of Blood and Sun. I'm sorry, Blood and Snow. Uh, great issue, again, as usual. Love the art, love the dialogue, love the action. It's an F first of a two-part story. Very action-packed. Um, again, Oshender... McDonald, out of the park, another a fabulous issue. Again, a great great issue of Suicide Squad. Uh, again, first time we see Vixen and Speedy in here. It left us on a cliffhanger. I, I don't know more to say. It's just a great issue. I definitely recommend it. But uh, let's go move on from this issue. Uh, let's take a quick break. Be right back. I don't know, but I Justice League International Bwahaha Podcast, a new monthly show chronicling the adventures of the JLI era by Keith Giffen and J.M. DeMatteis. We'll be going issue by issue in release order, tackling the core Justice League title, Justice League Europe, and the quarterly book. Along the way, we'll take time out for special episodes covering various spin-offs, cartoon appearances, the infamous TV pilot, and much more. So join me in an ever-changing roster of guest hosts as we celebrate your favorite JLI members, such as... Martian Manhunter. Batman. Dr. Fate. Black Canary. Fire. Ice. Maxwell Lord. Oberon. Captain Marvel. Rocket Red. Captain Atom. Mr. Miracle. Guy Gardner. Booster Gold. Blue Beetle. Nort. And many, many more. 
Justice League International Blahaha Podcast, coming March 2016 as part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Want to make something of it? Doom Patrol. 1963. Doom Patrol debut. My Greatest Adventure, issue 80. 1964. My Greatest Adventure renamed Doom Patrol. Issue 85. 1968. Doom Patrol destroyed. Issue 121. 1976. The new Doom Patrol. Showcase 94. 1987. Doom Patrol Volume 2. Berg Lytle. 1989. Morrison and Case. Issue 19. 1993. Pollack. Issue 64. 2001. Doom Patrol Volume 3. Arcudi Hewitt. 2004. Doom Patrol Volume 4. Burn. Shush. 2009. Doom Patrol Volume 5. Giffen Clark. 2012, 2013, 2014, 2015, 2016, Waiting for Doom, the Doom Patrol podcast, because we're waiting. Available on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and Podbean.com. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, 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 feels good. The time has come to enjoy myself. Hello, greetings, and hi there. This is the Head Speaks Podcast. Hey there, true believers. Welcome to the Task Force X Headcast. G.I. Joe, the real American headcast, is the code name for Aaron's daring, highly trained headcast. Hello there, my name is Aaron Moss, and this is the Starman Manhunter Adventure Hour. Alexis Mox. This is my show called Alexis Beat. And all of these shows can be found on the Headcast Network. Look for it on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. Also on Facebook by looking for the Headcast Networks. All of the great Headcasts that you love on one convenient feed. Look for it. The Headcast Network. See you there. Commercial's over, don't you know? It's time to watch the show. And we're back with Suicide Squad number 12. Uh, cover date was April of 1988. But again, to buy this on sale, fresh off the newsstand, you had been around January the 5th of 1988. Uh, ding dong, ringing the new year. Uh, this was actually my senior year. I was just uh, a few short months from graduating high school when this book came out. And just really getting into comics, so. Again, the price for this one was $0.75. Cents. The title of this bad boy was Blood and Snow Part 2. Once again, written by John Oshender, penciled by Luke McDonnell, Rob Inker was Robert Lewis, letterer Todd Klein, colorist Carl Gafford, and once again, the cover was brought to us by Jerry Bingham. 
And as always, the editor was Robert Greenberger. And the synopsis for this issue, we continue where we left off last issue with Shiva attacking Kujo's warehouse and fighting off its defenders. Briscoe deploys a team, Speedy playing distraction with June and Nightshade off to destroy Kujo's uh, supply of cocaine. Nightshade hopes them going ahead of schedule doesn't mess with other teams. Meanwhile, in Medellin, Boomer is hitting on Vixen and Orchid. While Vixen thinks about her life, as suddenly Cujo comes in demanding to know who he's really dealing with. He said he looked up and he discovered that this whole persona that Boomerang has is a, is a lie, and he's actually a, a villain known as George Harkness, a.k.a. Boomerang, Captain Boomerang. Boomerang says he's trying to expand himself, he's trying to expand his horizons, if you will. Cujo decides that he doesn't trust them, and, well, if he can't trust them 100%, he's just going to kill them. As he's getting ready to kill Boomerang and the ladies, uh, he realizes that the blonde is missing from the group. As they begin to look for her, they're interrupted as Black Orca comes busting out of the bathroom, and our three squad mates starts kicking butt. While this is going on, Nightshade and June finds the drugs, and they fight amongst themselves a little bit, until finally Nightshade is able to convince the Enchantress to destroy the cocaine by turning into guano. As they try to leave the place, they have to fight their way out. On the way out, the other group, uh, Vixen has her final confrontation with Cujo, whom she ends up killing. Black Orca then grabs Vixen and Captain Boomerang, right before he's able to grab the last bag of cocaine that was there, and flies them all out. Meanwhile, Speedy is ready to blow up Cujo's fortress with a giant explosion. The team returns to base to find that Rick has returned from his mission, Again, see last episode with me and Mike talking about the Doom Patrol Suicide Squad special. Uh, but as I was saying, Rick's returned from his mission, the sole survivor. We end the issue with Speedy saying that, to stop, that stopping Cujo hasn't really helped the problem, it's only delayed it. Uh, to quote Roy, so long as people keep shoveling shit up their noses, the problem is going to continue. Unless we nuke Medellin. Cut to a party somewhere where some rich, fat, balding white guy is with his hot little blonde. He pulls out a pack of cocaine, and when the lady asks him what he's doing, and isn't he afraid of getting addicted, he replies, I don't do that much. Besides, I fear it's not really anybody's business but my own. After all, who's it going to hurt? Cut to a close-up of the cocaine packet. The end. Cutscene. We're done. Uh, another great issue by John Ostinger. I enjoyed this episode. This, this, again, it was a two-part story. I enjoyed both parts. Uh, but to talk about the book, we need to look at it. So let's pull up the cover. On this cover, we have uh, the Enchantress fighting Nightshade. Uh, but they're on the same team, brotherhood. Why are they fighting? Well, apparently you haven't been paying attention. Uh, Enchantress, while she may be a member of the Suicide Squad, she is not a nice person. So... Again, a nice shot of them fighting. Uh, Nightshade's costume's torn. Enchantress is about ready to come out of her top, it looks like. Uh, overall, it's it's a great issue. We see uh, June, or, I'm sorry, Enchantress's hands are magical with power, lit up. And uh, there's a, uh, like a pinkish magic coming off her hands. There's also a pinkish, pink, pinkish aurora surrounding, uh, looks like kind of surrounding Nightshade's head. I don't know if that's... I think it's supposed to be her magic affecting her or something. 
little stars around her. Nice shades. Like, costume, like I said, is a little torn in places. It's a very nice cover. I, I really like this. Is, in fact, this is one of the better covers I've seen recently. Uh, but enough about the cover. Again, we go inside. We've got the, the little battle I talked about. Uh, Roy's lost his hat. Roy, it being speedy. Storm always lost his hat. He sends the girls inside while he distracts them. And I like this at the end of the page. Nice sheet, as I talked about my recap. He's like, damn, yeah, hope this is all happening ahead of schedule. Hope this doesn't blow things for the others in Medellin. Meanwhile, we cut to Medellin. And we have Boomerang basically hitting on uh, Vixen and uh, Black Orchid. And earlier I, I called her a blonde. Actually, she's a redhead. I wasn't looking at the issues at the set minute, so I was thinking I'm blonde for some reason. But yeah, she's a redhead. Uh, so anyways, Boomerang's, you know, saying that, you know, he, he's got... Uh, Cujo buffaloed, and that you know, Cujo wants to do business with them, and that they should be out of there before the ladies have to demonstrate their goods. And then we get Vixen doing a little again. It's John Oshner, so I'm not going to say anything bad about it. And it's you now this part of a two part story. We get Vixen kind of recapping briefly. Uh, she talks about that she's herself clear of the Tatum Totem, uh, clear of the rage that merely made her an animal. And again, this is a reference back to the last days of the Just League of America, which I talked about uh, previously. Was an issue like Just League of America 258 through 261. Uh, she mentioned that she invokes the totem again to kill Cujo, an act that may bind her to the totem forever, to avenge it, and he casually tossed away. He says she thinks she could have left it to others, but she insisted to go along. She thinks that she may never stop being Vixen. Uh, Boomerang's giving them their outfits, and Holly thinks he's like, Got your outfit right here. It's a sense you could have snuck it in yourself. I mean, where'd you pet it, eh? Don't overgive it to you. You've been cheeky with me, darling. Serve your right if you had to fight Cujo and his mob all stalkers, eh? Tell me why I should be nice to you. And I like this. Black Orchid just, she doesn't say anything, she just grabs him by the neck. Picks him up by his ribs, it looks like. And then sets him back down. And he's like, take a bloody bike. Uh, again, I, I like that, that scene. Um, it, it's a nice, very nice scene. I see Black Orchid stands taller than Boomerang. She's tougher than him. So, of course, he's going to give in. Because he, he's really a coward if you get down to it. Or at least that's my, my impression of him at this point, rereading these books. He's a bit of a coward, and again, he, he's a cheap, lazy... I don't want to say bum, but I don't know. Captain Boomer, what are you going to do? And like this, after she, she uh, pets him down, she takes the bag from him, and she kisses him on the lips. Thanks. And she walks into the bathroom. <laughs> I like this look on Boomer. He's got this dopey look on his face where he's like, Strength, I think I'm in love. So he gets assaulted, gets kissed by a beautiful redhead. And as he's sitting there, you know, stewing in those juices, Kuju comes busting into three of his guys with guns out. 
And I guess, oh, Senor Cujo, look, it's not what you're thinking. Whatever it is you're thinking. He just slaps him. You are lied to me, Senor. We took your fingerprints from the glass this afternoon, and my Interpol informer had a check. This is good business for us. Be sure to, to be sure we know who we're dealing with. Your name is not Hillary. It is Harkness. This makes me suspicious. I come here to question the women, and I find you, and I become more suspicious. I uh, remember he's got, always got it now. He's like, well, I, of course I didn't give you my real name. I need to be cautious. And as he's twisted his yarn uh, again, uh, he's telling that, you know, he's in love with Vixen. They're engaged and we're almost engaged. And he's trying to give her a kiss. Uh, Kuju gets interrupted by one of his guys and whispers in his ear. And we find out that he just received word that his fortress in the jungle is under attack. And I like this. He's like, my suspicions of you and your woman have reached the most terminal state, senor. Boomerang's like, this ain't all bloody, it's just bloody coincidence. And I don't prove nothing. You don't prove nothing. And he's, Cujo's like, proof? This is no quarter law, senor. I suspect you. It is easy to, it is safer to kill you. And they realize that they're missing the redhead, so they go looking for, as I said earlier, I like this, one of the guys goes open the door and they realize it's locked, I guess. But he's like, oh, we'll open it. They pull out the three guys, pull out the machine guns, start blasting the door away. And there stands Black Orchid, who's bulletproof. So they start firing at her. She's in there all, all pink, lavender, whatever color costume that is. Uh, so they start fighting. Boomerang pulls a boomerang. They head inside his shirt. Clunks one of the guys with it. Meanwhile, Vixen... Pulls her, her totem out. And I like this. And at this point, uh, I don't know if they were doing it in the comics when she was appearing in the Justice League. I forget offhand. I know at times, whenever she invokes the totem, I thought they did it in the Justice League. I could be wrong. You kind of see the animal shape around her as she absorbs her power. Here they're not doing that. Uh, but when she absorbs, I don't know what kind of animal it is. We see her eyes go uh, cat-like. And just the shading. I love the shade here at the page, bottom of page 7. This last panel, she's snarling, got an evil look on her face. Her eyes are all red, with like a red light covering half of her face. And it maybe she's a rage overtaking her, and that's how they're demonstrating that. I'm not quite sure what this, what it is. It's just supposed to be the rage overtaking her, uh, or if it's just the coloring, but I really like it. Like her eyes are red, kind of cat-like. Her, her uh, pupils are... Slits almost like a cat's. Uh, I love the way this works out. Then we cut over to again the girls, Nightshade and June Moon, going through the uh, the jungle fortress, and as they're surrounded by five or six of Cujo's men, uh, Shade Shade uh, Nightshade makes the room go dark, and she just starts kicking butt like this. She she's a very competent fighter. Uh, Nightshade at this point, her costume's got a, she's got a blue top her orange mask, and then she's got camouflage pants on with her black wig because June's a blonde. Not June, June, uh, yeah. Eve. Eve in real life's a blonde. She wears a black wig to disguise herself. Uh, again, very nice picture, very nice fight, fight here going on. Uh, nightshade looking kind of hot, even in the camel pants. And as he got the guards, June's like, where did you? Nightshade's like, I'll tell you, I got my shadow power some other time. 
And there's an editor's note here that says you can find out at Secret Origins number 28, on sale soon. Written by none other than your old pal, Bob. Um, and I thought, real quick to interrupt here, real quick, I was going to talk about Secret Origins 28, which is the origin of Nightshade, but I just talked about that here just about a month or so ago with my buddy Ryan over on his Secret Origins podcast. Uh, so I'm not going to cover it again, because you know, we just talked about it. Uh, I definitely recommend looking for Secret Origins 28. Uh, I'm sorry, look at the, for the book, and also check out the Secret Origins podcast, episode 28. Uh, consider that as a, a companion piece to my show. Uh, because, again, there, so far, there's I've been on there twice. There's uh, episode 14, where I covered the uh, Secret Origins of the Suicide Squad. And that book I also covered here, uh, back in my early episodes. And then Secret Origins 28, which is Nightshade. Again, I'm not going to cover that one because it's so close to what I'm doing now. Uh, no sense double covering it. I, I'm just going to recommend check out Ryan's Secret Origins podcast, episode number 28, where we talk about Nightshade's origin. Uh, but then Nightshade, uh, in June, they find, they find the drugs. And I like this. They bust in. She's all... Dope should be. They see the all of those drugs, and she's like, "Dear God, it's like a vision in heaven." So June calls forth Enchantress again. She's very evil looking. She's kept in a lot of shadows, and and, and she tells her to turn into guano. And I like this. So they, she tries to attack her, but Bronze Tiger lent her ma- lent Nightshade, Madame Zanudu's ring, which controls the Enchantress, as long as she's wearing that necklace. And unfortunately, neither the Enchantress or June could take the, ne- the necklace off. So, uh, again, they do a little fighting here, as I said. Uh, Nightshade's like, crap, you get used to her, use our magic for how fast she is, or how strong. As they're fighting, uh, well, Enchantress may be fast and strong. Uh, Nightshade knows how to fight. She gives a little boot to the head. Again, they do a little more fighty fight. And finally, Nightshade gets the uh, upper hand on her, beats her down. And she tells her, you know, you do as I told you, you get a grease spot on the floor. So Enchantress uses her magic and turns all the drugs in the room into guano. Again, I really like these, these couple pages here where the fight It's on uh, page uh, 10 through 13. Uh, again, it's a very nice fight. And after Chantress turns the drugs back into her and Iguano, she comes up and grabs her behind the neck and tells you know, tells her to say her name, so she turns back to June. And Chantress screaming, I'll have my revenge on you, as most supervillains do. Says her names and turns back. Uh, again, I really like that this is laid out. I'd like to talk about Chantress for a minute. I don't know exactly how they're going to do it in the movie, if they're going to have this switching back and forth between June and Enchantress. Uh, her costume looks very different from what I've seen in the movie. I like what I'm seeing. Again, I'm very much the traditionalist. I like seeing the traditional costumes, but I understand that you got to change this up a little bit, that this black top of the, the witch's hat and the black uh, leggings aren't may not work as well in real life on film. So they've changed it up a little bit. I'm liking what I'm seeing so far. Uh, we'll have to wait and see exactly how it plays out. But I'm, I'm curious. I'm wondering if they're going to do the whole switching back and forth or just give you the chances the whole time. 
Anyways, I recap the rest of this issue during the synopsis. We're going to jump ahead a couple pages to uh, the fight between Cujo and Vixen. So again, Vixen didn't change her costume. She's fighting in a pink evening dress. Very animalistic. She leaps out of the uh, timbers at him, the, the roof. Uh, she's always snarling and uh, prouncing around on all fours like an animal. And as they're fighting, he pulls a knife out and stabs her in the shoulder. And, and that's when she finally grabs him and just snaps his neck. And that, that page there, page 17, a couple interesting panels. The third panel, after she gets, first couple of panels, she gets stabbed. A third panel, we just see an outline and shadow of her over his body. And you hear the word snap, there's like a red splotch around it. That's a very good panel, I like that. And then she's like, you, uh, and she realized what she did in that third panel after that. So it's one, two, three, four. The fifth panel, we see a close-up of her face. She's got a tear coming down her face, her, her hands covering her mouth, as she realizes what she did. And the next panel is a silent panel also, just her sitting there. Uh, Cujo's laying there in darkness. We can see him because he's got his white shirt. But it's dark all around him, and, and Vixen's sitting in a, uh, a rectangular pool of light. I don't know if it's coming from a skylight or the door or what. But I like that it's laid out, that she's just sitting there, got one leg up against her face, and the other one crawling beneath her. You can tell that she's devastated by what she did. You don't kill a man easily, is what this is telling us. And when his guys bust in, she's, one of the guys like, Puta, what did you do to Senor Cujo? And she's like, I killed him. She has a tear, tear coming down her face. And again, as they're escaping here, Black Orchid shows up and saves her. And again, the only thing she's saying, I killed him, or can I kill him? So, I mean, when in her grief, her despair, she was very eager earlier to kill him. Now that she's actually done it, uh, she's not as, I don't want to say as eager, but she's very much, uh, she's very grief-stricken, the fact that not so much that Cujo's dead, because, again, uh, he uh, was a bit of a jerk and he deserves to die. But it's she's more in mourning and sad for... Uh, what it's done to her, because she realizes that this is going to change her, that, that, again, when you kill somebody, it's going to affect you. And, that, and that's what this is. So, again, I like that it shows that there's actions, your consequences, even if you do something that's in the right, it may not be the right thing to do, and you're going to feel it. And then we move on from that very touching scene of Black Orchid saving her, and she, her in mourning of her loss, I don't say innocence necessarily, but... Her lost innocence. And we see Boomerang, he stumbles into her room and he finds a, a, a bundle of cocaine. <laughs> He's all... Is that flapping hell it is? The street value of that bundle? I'm rich. Rich! Black worker flies by and grabs him. No, you bloody bike. Pet me down. That's my fortune. Pet me down! And so... Previously, she'd flown off with Vixen. Now she's flown back in by herself just to grab Boomerang. And Boomerang's crying because he's lost all that money he could have got from the drugs. And like this third panel on page 19, uh, we just see uh, Black Orchid flying with uh, Vixen and Boomerang. This is silhouette against the moon. And this tells you how bad off Vixen is. 
I'm not quite sure she, I'm flipping back here, she lost her amulet. Well, she's, she didn't have the amulet in her hand while she was fighting him. And that's where she gets her powers from. She had it originally when she took off. And then when she steps out of the rafters, she doesn't, we don't see it anywhere. And normally she could just use the powers of a, uh, an hawk or an eagle or something to fly on her own. But seeing how she's holding on to black orchid, some might say, well, it's a mistake. She should go fly on her own. I think more than anything, this shows how devastated she is. That she used her powers to kill a man. And this may be her kind of blocking her powers out or she's not wanting to use the powers right now because of what she's done and what she can do with them. And again, they don't say that, but that's my interpretation of it. And that's one thing I like about this. Ostrager did this is you can leave some of this up your own interpretation. Very nice. And then I talked about the Roy ends up blowing up the fortress. They get back. And they find out that, you know, Rick's returned from his mission. Again, there's another little uh, editor's note here to see the current Doom Patrol Suicide Squad special. Uh, again, for more information from me on that, see last episode. But, uh, so he returned from his mission, and night she's trying to talk to him, and Waller's like, leave him alone, girl. Colonel Fogg was the only one to survive the mission. And she said, oh, dear God, oh, Rick. And Boomerang's like, the only one? That's a bit thick, isn't it? Even by squad standards. And Waller graduates on a mission well done. You know, Cujo's dead, the cocaine is guano, which is bat poop. The fortress is razzed. And she offers Vixen a job, you know, on the regular with the Doom Patrol. And she's like, work with criminals? Live in a prison? Maybe get myself killed? For bad money and no glory? Sure, why not? And again, so this is letting us know how depressed and how upset Vixen is at taking Cujo's life, even though he deserves it. She was all happy to do it earlier. Now that the, mission, the, the uh, job's done, she's very much... She's down on herself, and she's thinking she's a bad person now. And so, again, this is going to take some work for her to get over this. And, again, that's one thing I love about Oxford's writing. It's very realistic. I mean, in comics, usually a hero can kill a bad guy and it's gone to this day. Here, it's showing that there's repercussions and that Vixen's a good person. And even though she did a good thing, she still feels bad because she killed somebody. So, I really like the way this is laid out and John's message, at least the message I'm getting from it in here. And then we have a little public service announcement, Roy, saying that even though, you know, they did their mission, they didn't really achieve anything, it's just a temporary shortage. Other third words will step in. Eight months of things back to normal. And it goes to the uh, comment I made earlier. And then we, again, we continue with the little epilogue, the little uh, public service announcement, you know. The rich... I'm assuming he's a rich guy. He's got a bad taste in clothes, walling, overweight. You know, he do some cocaine. Uh, I don't know. It's not a bad ending. It just seems very public service, very 80s, very anti-drug, very uh, now for a special moments. Uh, maybe this deserves it. No, it's, it's not a bad ending. Don't get me wrong. But And then we get the next issue blurb. Next, Just League International. And that's it for this issue. Yeah, great issue. I'm going to talk about the, the comments real quick, or the letter column real quick. Uh, in the letter column, there was a uh, letter writer named Paul Sizzlewiz. 
or something like that. Uh, he writes his letter in. I'm not going to go over his letter. I'm just going to, he's got two questions that are in his letter. Uh, he, who, Paul says, where is Nightshade in this issue? Uh, they refer to issue eight. And also they ask uh, if there's any plans for a Suicide Squad annual. And they, when they answer, they talk about Manhunter number one coming out this spring. That's what I said earlier in the letter. For more on Manhunter, see my other podcast, the Starman Manhunter Adventure Hour, where I cover their uh, Mark Shaw Manhunter and the uh, Will Payton Starman comics. But enough promoting my own shows. Back to the reason I was reading this letter column. Uh, they're talking about that they have expensive plans for Nightshade, so that's why they deleted it from issue 8, because they didn't have space for everybody. And the extensive plans is the upcoming Nightshade Odyssey, which will be uh, should be coming up on my 24th second anniversary episode, where me and Ryan talk about that, since we covered the origin over in Secret Origins. And then he says, also, speaking of plans, uh, I believe this is Robert writing this. He says, John, which is John Ostinger, and I recently completed some meetings regarding the direction of the series from issue 13 through 25, including the annual, a spinoff miniseries, and tying up loads of loose ends. And it says the annual is set for summer and will be worth the wait. And I believe the spinoff miniseries he's referring to is the Deadshot miniseries, which I'll be getting to here at some point. But that should wrap up my thoughts on issue 12. Again, I really like this issue. Uh, next issue blurb talks about the Just League International and Suicide Squad crossover. Uh, again, the last two issues was great. I'm looking forward to the next issue. Um, I'm going to go ahead and put you guys on another little break here, listen to another podcast commercial, and I'll be right back with you with another character profile and suicide notes. We'll be back after this break. Don't touch that dial for goodness sake. Automa, Argus, Ballistic, Cardinal Sin, Channelman, Chimera, Edge, Freight Train, Geist, Gunfire, Hackrat, Harry Force, Harry Man, Jam, Joe Jam, Gloria, Crack, Layla, Lion, Loose Cannon, Megabiter, Mongolia, Miriam, Nightbird, Outfoot, Prism, Razor Shark, Rod and James, Rod Samaritan, Shadow Strike, Slick Shot, Smart Shot, Terrorist Wow, that's a lot of radical trademark names. And you may not have heard of any of them, but they were all introduced in DC Comics' 1993 Summer Annuals. Most went on to figure into more stories within their four-color universe. Many earned their own spotlight series, and one became a cult hit from acclaimed creators. While the comics of the 1990s are often derided, for me, as a longtime comic book reader, I found a deepened fandom and a safe harbor from the Chromium Age in the DCU. I fell in love with the history and legacy found in generations of heroic mantles, and my journey into this continuity largely began with Bloodlines. Join me, the Frank, as I explore the more overlooked areas of DC Comics' superheroes, beginning with an early 90s intellectual property generating stunt and fanning outward towards other obscurities and icons from throughout decades of sequential art stories, all flowing through the DC bloodlines. Podcasts available on iTunes, Shout Engine, and the Internet Archive. Take the Earth's mightiest heroes, each an invincible champion of justice, and band them together to assemble the legendary Justice League of America. For 261 issues and three annuals, the DC Universe was defended from threats on Earth and beyond by this legendary team. 
operating from a cave in Happy Harbor to a satellite orbiting 22,300 miles above the Earth to uh, Detroit. Justice's First Dawn, a classic Justice League of America podcast, will follow the league through all their evolutions. Please join your host, Mike Peacock, as I seek to cover all of the issues of the classic pre-crisis Justice League of America series. Through the magic of the JLA transporter, each issue will be randomized, with special episodes covering a complete story arc if needed. Along with the issue coverage, we shall also look at what the then-current members of the Justice League were up to in solo appearances and other comics for the JLA cover month issue. So do not hesitate to activate your JLA signal device for Justice's First Dawn, a classic Justice League of America podcast on classicjla.podbean.com or by subscribing through iTunes. Now we go back to the fun. Message time is over and done. And we're back with another character profile. This time we're talking about Speedy, who showed up these last two episodes, or I'm sorry, these last two issues. Speedy is also known as Roy Harper. He first appeared in More Fun Comics number 73 in November of 1941, created by Mort Weisinger and George Pop. Again, I'm just going to give a brief outline of his origin. Again, this comes from Wikipedia, as usual. The original Speedy's name was Roy Harper Jr. As I said, he first appeared in More Fun Comics, uh, where he's identified as the orphan son of Roy Harper Sr., a forest ranger who died saving a Navajo medicine chief named Brave Bow from fire. Brave Bow raised young Roy, trained him in archery. Roy took his training eagerly, idolized the archer Suko Green Arrow. As a teenager, Roy is given the opportunity to perform an archery competition judged by the Green Arrow, where he assists the hero at foiling an attempted burglary, even proving himself to be faster shot than the hero. Following the death of Brave Bow, Brave Bow Green Arrow asked Roy to serve as a sidekick, an offer that Roy readily accepted. Taking the name Speedy, Harper became the ward of Green Arrow's alter ego, billionaire Oliver Queen. Because Batman had a, had a uh, award, so why shouldn't Green Arrow? Uh, Harper became a member of the Teen Titans. After the original Titans disbanded, he joined a band called the Great Frog and became a drug addict. A first in DC Comics, as I talked about previously. It was an award-winning story in Green Lantern 85 and 86, uh, back in September and November of 1971. Part of a classic 14-issue run by the artist writer-artist team of Danny O'Neill and Neil Adams. And then he spent some time in the Suicide Squad before returning to the Teen Titans, as we're seeing now. Uh, for his future, he fathers a daughter with the villainous Cheshire, he eventually changes his name to Arsenal. Uh, he then eventually, then later on, he changes his name to Red Arrow. Uh, then later on, a bunch of bad stuff happens. His daughter's killed. He loses one of his arms due to Prometheus. Uh, and then he changes his name back to Arsenal. Uh, again, the, a lot of this later stuff, the daughter dying, losing his arm and all that... That came about during the time when I think DC Comics was going through a dark age. The stories wasn't as good, in my opinion, and I don't know. It just, well, I'm here to talk about that. Uh, Roy's powers and abilities. Uh, Speedy, like his mentor, has a wide variety of trick arrows, 
most famously, famously is Punching Glove Arrow, which is capable of knocking out villains. He also has several other arrows, ranging from sleeping gas, exploding, and regular arrows. Along with excellent archery skills, he's mastered different types of hand-to-hand combat, including judo, kickboxing, and karate. As Arsenal, he displays a great proficiency of greater range of weapons, such as guns, trudgeons, and boomerangs. He's become a master of Mugai Gong, allowing him to use virtually any handheld object as a makeshift weapon. Uh, Roy can speak Japanese and can understand Russian. Over in multimedia appearances, uh, over on the TV show uh, Arrow, Colton Haynes appears as Roy Harper slash Arsenal. Uh, Speedy's first animated appearance was in the Teen Titans segment in the Superman Aquaman Hour Adventure. In those episodes, Speedy serves as the effective place of Robin. Of course. Speedy has appeared on the Teen Titans animated series, voiced by Mike Irwin. He has appeared in an episode of Just League Unlimited, entitled Patriot Act. He appeared in Batman the Brave and the Bold, in an episode entitled Dawn of the Dead Man, voiced by Jason Marsden. And uh, in the Young Justice series, Roy Harper is a major character, voiced by Crispin Freeman. And then he returns in the Teen Titans Go episode entitled The Date, voiced by Scott Menville. Uh, But that's it for my character profile of Speedy. Moving on from him over to suicide notes, I've got one letter. I say I have one letter, but it's a really long letter from our buddy Willie Yarborough. Uh, so I'm going to go and read through Willie's letter. Uh, so Willie writes, Dear Head, I just want to share a few thoughts with you on diversity and cinematic adaptations of comic book properties. For me, I just absolutely over the moon with excitement about the prospect of soon seeing the Suicide Squad on the silver screen. I never dreamed a big-budget film focusing on my favorite comic book would get the treatment. So I must say, when I hear fellow fans not as excited as me, I get a bit sad. But everything can or should be for everyone. And I'd first like to say that as a longtime comic book fan, collector, nerd, I understand your points, apprehensions, and concerns. I respect and understand those views, but don't always agree. I love your Suicide Squad podcast. Uh, thank you very much. I appreciate that, Willie. Uh... And I consider you to be the foremost amateur expert in all things Suicide Squad, Checkmate, Starman, and Manhunter, and more. I thank you for providing a deep, your deep analysis, introspection, and color commentary on these beloved comic book gems from the late 80s. I also get a piece of my childhood back each time I download and listen to one of your pod, uh, your shows. Uh, after, you lis- after listening to your latest show, episode 21, which is wonderful as usual, I feel compelled to write to you and share your thoughts on your Suicide Squad film concerns. I first would like to start by acknowledging your concerns and validating that you have very, every right to your views and in no way am I saying that you're wrong or you should see things my way. You're as attached to the source material as I am and you have every right to feel the way you feel and expect to see what you want to see. I'm just trying to share an alternate view on the subject of race bending, Floyd Lawton, a.k.a. Deadshot, the assassin with a death wish. So please do not take my views to diminish your own and I do not wish to cause offense. All opinions are valid at the end of the day. Interjecting real quick, I agree 100%, Willie. Uh, your thoughts and opinions, if they differ from mine, you are entitled to them. You're wrong, but I'm <laughs> just kidding. It's your thoughts and opinions, man. Uh, what you feel is what you feel. And again, we can both agree that The Suicide Squad, written by John Ostrander, is a great book. And again, even though I have had my my uh, druthers about some of the things in the film, like you, I too am excited to see the upcoming movie. Uh, but enough about my thoughts. Let's get back to uh, Willie. 
He continues saying, I agree with you to some extent about the missing icon, iconic, iconic, not that hard a word, the missing iconic Suicide Squad costumes. I too wish that the costumes are closer to the source material. However, the clothes don't make the man, woman, or supervillain. It's all about visual storytelling for the medium to which they are presented. Some sacrifices must be made for the most part. These characters look like they can exist and function within this DCEU, and most of their outfits are upgrades from their comic book costume. I fear the Enchantress's witch's hat and a boomerang's t-shirt would not have translated well to the silver screen. And real quick, I'm going to interrupt as I go along here and give my thoughts. Uh, it's my show, I can do that. <laughs> I agree with you, Willie. Um, I, as I said, I am a bit of a purist. I like seeing what's on the comic on the screen, but I realize that some of these may not translate as well. I may not have to like what I see, but again, I, I understand why they're doing it. Uh, back to Willie's letter. First, I'd like to start by saying that I would, we wouldn't have a film to talk about if it were not for the talented cast which David Ayers assembled. Therefore, I reserve all judgment and give benefits of doubt when it comes to award-winning actors like Jared Leto and Will Smith. Without these two major stars heading this film, there wouldn't be a film to talk about. I'm not saying it's right, and I'm not saying that I agree with it, but without big-name Hollywood movie stars, we wouldn't be getting our film. I'll go as far to say that it's a fact, but if someone can offer example or reasons that I'm wrong, I'll humbly accept that and say that I'm wrong. Uh, I'm going to interject real quick. Again, I, I'm not a, I do watch movies. I'm not a of Jared Leto. Will Smith, I know. I'm a big Will Smith fan. But um, saying you need to have big names in the movie, maybe I'm wrong. I mean, I know, jumping over to Marvel real quick, I know that uh, Guardians of the Galaxy was a really good movie. Uh, it had Oliver, Oliver Platt? No, Chris, Chris Platt. Sorry about that, Chris. I, I don't know how, I know, I know he came from TV. I, I, I don't know how popular he is. There was the chick that was uh, Gamora who was in Star Trek. But none of these guys, to me, are as big of a name as Will Smith. But maybe that's just me. So yeah, looking real quick, it was Chris, Pro Chris Pratt, Zoe Zadana, Dave Bristow, uh, Vin Diesel as Groot. But it was just a voice. And all I said was, I am Groot. Bradley Cooper played Rocker Raccoon. I mean, it had some decent names in it. Don't get me wrong, Glenn Close. But she just had a cameo kind of spot in there. So I think, again, if you have decent acting, I'm sorry, let me rephrase that. If you have some good acting, a good script, and a good director, I don't know if you need the big names. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, again, I don't know how big of a name Jared Leto is. Again, I don't, I'm not familiar with him myself, but that's not saying he's not a big name. It's just not something I'm familiar with. Again, you don't need the Joker in there. You don't have to have a bit, you don't have to have a big name brand villain, as I've talked about previously. Because again, I'll mention Guardians of the Galaxy. They don't have they didn't have a big name character to pin a tail on. Ant Man. He didn't. Have, I mean, they had a. I think Falcon showed up in there for a brief moment, but they didn't have a. You know, no one knows the Ant Man before the movie came out. So, I think if you have a good actor, and again, that had some. Don't get me wrong. Ant Man had some big names in it. But, as far as real life people, so again, maybe it's a combination, I don't know, but I, I think if you have good actors, if you have good director, if you have a good script, I think you can get by without a lot of the big names, but maybe I'm wrong. Enough about that rant, I'll round with that later. Uh, let's get back to uh, Willie's letter. 
but he says, but as I see it, those two actors are, as well as the addition of the rising star actress like Margot Robbie and Charlie Quinn, one of the comic's hottest characters portrayed by one of Hollywood's hottest and talented young actresses, all contributed to getting this film greenlit. But in the end, that's neither here nor there. They're all in the film, and I think they'll all do a wonderful job with the material David Ayers gives them. Mainly what I wanted to address, this reoccurring race-bending concern that I continue to see from several fans. Since I consider you the foremost amateur fan expert in all things Suicide Squad, I feel compared to share my views. These are my opinions. By no means do I wish to invalidate how you feel on these issues. I just want to share mine with you and offer another way to look at this issue. Secondly, I'd like to acknowledge that race, ethnicity, and gender is integral to some characters. Wonder Woman is and must always remain a woman. It's key to her character motivation. However, must she always be de- depicted as a white woman? I'm just going to leave that question out there. I don't answer to that. But what am I some diversity? Again, this is me interrupting real quick. I don't know if I'd say she needs to be white, but she does need to be, uh, she should be of Greek origin, in my opinion. Or at least something that could pull off. So she, you couldn't have a black lady, you couldn't have a Hispanic, you couldn't have Asian. She needs to be, I mean, to me, again, and I, I am very cultural blind, I guess. It's hard for me to pick out accents and tell what race someone is by looking at them. If they're not, you know, Japanese, Chinese, I can't quite tell the difference. Uh, if you're white, I, without speaking, a lot of times I don't know if you're American, if you're Russian, if you're, you know, German, Greek. It all kind of blends into one to me. So, uh, but she needs to be again someone that could pass for Greek, I would think, because that's again that's where she comes from, uh, the Greek gods and all that. Uh, back to Willie's letter. Superman is universally depicted as a white alien who passes as a white human, but in current DC continuity, there are two black Superman, one on Earth two and another on Earth twenty three. However, they are not called Clark Kent. I still expect Clark Kent to be a white man raised in Kansas, the world's greatest champion but also like Calvin Ellis on Earth-24 and Val Nod on Earth-2. Again, this is me interrupting real quick. I agree with you. I do think that Clark Kent needs to be a white male from the Kansas area. You could have other people calling themselves Superman, but not Clark Kent's. I agree with you on that 100%. Uh, Back to Willie's letter. Bruce Wayne has been established as an affluent aristocrat, white man who likes to dress as a bat for the most part. I think he's going to stay that way, but I don't see any reason down the road he couldn't be a Hispanic or Asian kid in Crime Alley, watching his parents dying and being traumatized into becoming an agent of vengeance. How about Black Panther? Well, he needs to stay a black man, not because black is his name, but because his race is integral to the part of his character. He's the descendant of a long, ancient line of African kings, so he's basically black. Oh, that's all I got on that. Captain America Steve Rogers is a depressionary white kid from Brooklyn who went on to become a World War II super soldier and American icon. He's a near historical figure set in a time period when America was not going to have its symbol of power be anything other than a blonde-haired, blue-eyed, white dude. But that's society's problem. Steve Rogers is a pure-of-heart hero to everyone worldwide. Captain America's race, in my opinion, is part of his character, not because of who he is, but because of what America's society was like in the early 20th century when his character was created. Also like you, many times I too have been disappointed with casting decisions and creative license, taking up some of my favorite characters. I'm most agreed by the casting of Oral Monroe, a.k.a. Storm, of the X-Men. First, I need to recognize my own possible bias on colorism of the casting of light-skinned African-American actresses, Halle Berry and Alexandria Shipp, who's playing Storm in the uh, upcoming X-Men Apocalypse movie. They play a dark-skinned African woman. So as an African-American person myself and comic nerd of color, 
I let that go because I recognize that people of African descent come on all shades of color. They be both bigoted and ignorant of me to not respect the actress who were selected just because they weren't dark enough. However, that I will not expect is piss-poor acting performance, silly fake African accents, and the woefully underpowered characterization of Storm, which has been portrayed on screen by Haley Berry. Uh, the jury is still out on Alexandria's ship, but she shaved her head for the Mohawk, so I'm liking what I see so far. But early views for the new X-Men movie are not good, and I hear the Storm once again does not get her due. So for now, I'm not my Storm... I've not got my storm on the silver screen and may never will. This is what I'll not abide. When Hollywood gets the character wrong, that's the deal breaker for me. Storm portrayal so far has been underwhelming to say the least. She can't fly, she's not regal enough, she's not leading, and she's not and she's underpowered. It doesn't matter what her skin tone or complexion looks like, it's the filmmakers that got the characterization wrong. But I get it, we all have expectations of what characters look like and what they act like because we've lived with these characters for years and we've got decades of established canon. Now to address race-bending of Floyd Lawton. I just want to share my humble opinion about the race-bending of Floyd Lawton, Deadshot, and why it's a non-issue for me, at least. I understand your displeasure and concerns. However, in this, in most cases, I think it detracts from who Deadpool, sorry, who Deadshot is and what he brings to the Suicide Squad as a character. To me, Deadshot is a character who has never been defined by his ethnic or racial characteristics. To me, he's a br- brutal, dark, and tragic figure who happens to be a sociopath with a death wish, death wish and a dry, sarcastic wit and charm. He's a cold-blooded killer for hire. He's not an anti-hero. He's not a hero. He is a murderer. He was born into a fluent and dysfunctional family where the tragic Shakespearean events shaped him into who he is. To me, his race and ethnicity have never played a factor in who he is as a person. I would say that his gender as a male and his sexual orientation as heterosexual are key to his character because his negative disregard for women are sex objects and failed relationships about his guilt and his guilt about walking away from his children and at times he didn't even know he had also, his failings as a father mirrored my own problems with his own father. Sorry, mirrored his own problems with his own father. Thus, being a heterosexual male are very likely key to who Floyd Lawton is the character. However, all these character traits, personality flaws, and possibly mental disorders are not connected to his race or authenticity, so the characteristics can be applied to any male actor of any race, ethnicity, for a live-action adaptation. So for me, as long as the spirit of his character is translated to silver screen, I don't care what his physical appearance look like. This is a film adaptation. It's not a great comic book series with what we both hold in such high regard. It's not connected to DC Comics' current and past continuity. It's its own thing. As far as I'm concerned, the DCEU resides on its own Earth within the multiverse. So somewhere out there, there among the multiple worlds, there's a Caucasian Floyd Lawton, and I hope on some other Earth, perhaps to their own part of the DC multiverse, there's an alien, Hispanic, Native American, or some other race or gender deadshot. Our required Deadshot is that he or she is a nasty piece of work who I root for, not because Deadshot is a good guy or a bad guy, but because Deadshot is a three-dimensional, fleshed-out character who I've enjoyed reading about for almost 30 years, and I'm happy and excited that he and the Suicide Squad are making it on the silver screen. Hopefully the world will fall in love with a concept that we've loved for so many decades. So what's not to like about it? Well, it their own. There is no right or wrong in this whole thing, but I hope the rest of the comic book fandom will join me in enjoying this golden age of big-budget, cinematic comic book movies, Adaptation for as long as it lasts. However, we'll always have the original comics. When I dig through my long box and crack open nearly a 30-year-old issue of Suicide Squad comic, Lloyd is still a white dude with a porn mustache, and no one is changing that. One final observation about the upcoming film. The Suicide Squad has always been the most diverse team in comics. They did it before. It was cool to do it with the characters like Amanda Waller, Bronze Tiger, Vixen, Enchantress, Nightshade, Killer, Frost, Plastique, and the list goes on. 
film is the most diverse comic book film ever. Asian, Canadian, First Nation, which is Indian, and Hispanic, and so on. Oh, yes, African-American, white, and women are all well represented. I think that's great. As a kid, this is one of the reasons that I love reading these issues, because of the rate, because within the pages, I found people who looked like me, and I felt like I got to be included, too. There were good guys and bad guys, but they all had character. I guess what I'm trying to say is that diversity in the media is important, and representation matters to me. I'm sure it matters to you and others also. Oh, by the way, with post-DC Rebirth, it looks like the full figure of Amanda Waller is back. For more details, read Harlequin's April Fool special. I'm so happy to have the big Waller back. I love the return of her big and natural Afro hairstyle, too. Hope this message finds you doing well, and thank you for all your hard work. I'll be looking forward to the next Task Force X and Starman Manhunter podcast. Bye for now. Sincerely, Willie. Willie, thank you very much for writing in. I love hearing your thoughts. Uh, you're a very intelligent and well-spoken individual for being a comic book nerd. <laughs> but no, seriously, Willie, thanks for writing in. I appreciate your thoughts. I agree with a lot of what you say. Some I have to disagree with. But again, like you said, we have our own thoughts and opinions on it, and no one's really right, except for me. <laughs> but no, seriously, I again, I still... My big thing is that when I see an adaptation of a character on film, I like to see what I'm reading brought to life. And that's why, I mean, if it was just a written thing where, you know, they never referenced his skin tone, it was like a novel, it wouldn't be so bad because you wouldn't know it. But I, I see Floyd, as you say, he's got the porn mustache, he's a white guy. I want to see that depicted on the, on the screen. As far as diversity... As you said, Suicide Squad has so much different diversity in the book. And if they want diversity, they could have been black, brought in Black Mana. They could have brought in who I would rather had was uh, Bronze Tiger. Uh, there's so much diversity they could bring in that you don't need to change the race of the character, in my opinion. In fact, I wish Will Smith would have played someone like uh, Bronze Tiger instead, because I'm afraid, and I could be wrong, but I'm afraid that Will Smith being a big actor... He's not going to want to play a total... I don't know, he's, as I, I'm talking, stopping a mid-sentence. Uh, I don't know if he wants to play such an, uh, a hard an ass hat of a character. Because Deadshot's not a hero, he's not an anti-hero, he's a villain. He's doing what he does for his own gain. He's, he's got mental issues, as we all know. Uh, if you're not familiar with him, because you're following him for the first time, you're going to see, definitely, he's got some issues... I'm afraid they're going to try to play him more as a uh, hard luck guy who's down on his luck, who's not quite the villain as he should be. Uh, whereas if you have someone that's not being quite as big of a name, they would go more with that, I would think. And if they had Bronze Tiger, he could play the hero of the role, and, you know, someone like Will Smith would want to play that, I would think. Again, maybe I'm wrong. I'm hoping I'm wrong. But I guess we'll find out here in a couple months. But anyways, that's going to do it for uh, Suicide Notes this month. Uh, if you guys want to be right on the air like Willie, write in. You can send us an email to taskforcex at headspeaks.com or you can go to our blog page at taskforcex.headspeaks.com and leave a message there. Uh, Willie did both. He left the same message on, he emailed me and he also posted on the blog. So definitely, if you want to reread Willie's message, check out the blog. It's on there also. Uh, but I've been going on here for uh, over an hour and a half, so I'm going to wrap this up now. So, upcoming, uh, here in a couple of weeks, I should be showing up over on the Secret Origins podcast once again, my third time. 
as me and Ryan talks about the secret origins of Dr. Light. I believe it's issue th- or episode 37 of that show. Definitely check that out. Check out next week when I return with the Starman Manhunter Adventure Hour, episode 3, that was delayed from last month. Uh, again, as usual, the first week of the month, we have G.I. Joe, Real American Headcast, or me, Ryan, and if I can get Adam Worth and Kyle Benning together, we talk about G.I. Joe, the uh, comic book from the 80s, and the TV show, the animated series. The week after that, the second week of the month, we have Head Speaks, where I talk about whatever I feel like, comic book usually related or movie-wise. In uh, fact, this next month is my two-year anniversary of Head Speak, so join me there. I don't know what I'm doing yet. And I will be finishing up my uh, the last two shows on my list of top TV shows from the 80s uh, theme songs I've been doing. I'll finish that up finally. I'm not sure what else is going on. Join us. And then next month, join us back here for Task Force X, episode 23, where we talk about uh, a little book called Suicide Squad. And Justice League, both issues 13, where they cross over. That's a great story. Uh, Definitely check it out. Uh, But that'll do it for me for this time. Until next time, squad dismissed. for listening to another great episode of Task Force X. I can also be found rambling on my main headcast of Head Speaks, where I rant and rave about movies, comics, geek stuff, and whatever is bugging me. Mate, you just out crazy the Joker. <laughs> well, I tried Boomer, but anyways, my home on the internet is at headspeaks.com. H-E-A-D-S-P-E-A-K-S dot C-O-M Links to my blog, which contains follow-up information to this and every headcast can be found there. Both Task Force X and Headspeaks are on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and at headspeaks.com under Headcasts. Please feel free to email me any questions, comments, or concerns to taskforcex at headspeaks.com and if you want to record a message, you can send it to me at taskforcex at headspeaks.com, and I'll play it on the air. I'm also on Facebook at taskforcex, and also on Google+, Plus, you can look for taskforcex under people pages. Now, all titles and characters discussed are owned and copyrighted by DC Comics. I claim no ownership to the Suicide Squad, Checkmate, or Task Force X. I'm just a big fan wanting to spread the Task Force X love with everyone else. Uh, DC Comics can be found on the web at dccomics.com. Be sure to visit your local comic shop and look for Suicide Squad and Checkmate Comics. And while you're there, see what else they have that may interest you. Mother... Well, make sure you join us here next time for another fun-filled headcast from your friendly neighborhood, Brotherhead. In the meantime, I'll see you in the funny pages.